I was working as a park ranger this one time when I heard something pretty weird from one of the campers. It was low season and we only had a few bookings. One, a group of Boy Scouts and their two leaders who were both middle-aged moms. Two, a very small church group, all female. And three, two college girls who had been doing some sort of nature photography shoot and research had appeared. So, a lot of females aside from a small group of young Boy Scouts. There were around five of them, and I'd say they were all preteen. And that's important to note for the story. You see, in the morning, while the scouts were cooking their breakfast and the church ladies were doing their prayer circle, one of the college girls came storming over to the office, making and filing a complaint. She said that there had been a man outside their tent during the night. They knew it was a man as he mumbled a couple of things and laughed. He'd had apparently a very deep voice. She said he was drunk and that he had urinated on the side of the tent. Again, not only from the voice, but the height of where the urine had hit the tent, they known it was a guy and not one of the little boys. Sure enough, I headed over to their tent at the location they said it happened, and sure enough, there was a strong smell of human urine. There were also three empty beer cans on the floor and multiple cigarette butts. No one on that site claimed to have brought any alcohol with them, and none of them seemed like secret drinkers and there had been no cider smell of tobacco. Thing is, our campsite is miles away from anywhere. You would have to drive to get here, and there were no obvious signs of anybody else coming onto or through the site. It was enough to freak everybody out, and they all packed up and left. Can't say I blame them. We kept watch overnight for the next week or so, but never saw anything and never had any more complaints. Maybe the girls just made the whole thing up. I don't know. It didn't feel like it, though. And between the beer cans, cigarettes, and urine smell, it seems like a lot to waste your time on and a lot of a story to build up for what? This happened nine years ago in the early spring when I was 15 years old, spring 2014. I was at a friend's house in corn country about an hour north of Indianapolis. Nowadays I am very familiar with the paranormal unexplained having multiple shared experiences with friends, but at the time I was a major skeptic. I didn't fully process what we saw until years later. I came over to my friend's house to hang out like any other time. I brought my pellet gun he had one as well, so we could shoot some moles on his farm property. After a while, his brother joined us, and we eventually got bored of looking for moles. There was a patch of woods about the size of two football fields a little over a mile away, completely surrounded by empty cornfields with no access points from the nearby road. The three of us decided to walk out there because why not? We were bored kids looking for fun. We put on some boots and headed out with our pellet guns. The walk wasn't super far but it took us a while to reach the woods because all the spring rain from earlier in the week made the empty field a big mud pit. So muddy your foot disappears with each step. Then right as we walked through the brush surrounding the edge of the woods we saw it. The best way I can describe this thing is it was a raccoon that was built like a Great Dane. We had seen coyotes and wolves before, and this was not that. 
It 100% looked like the biggest raccoon we had ever seen. We could tell we caught it off guard because it was just standing there on all fours grooming itself. And then it immediately locked eyes with us when one of us pointed at it and said, Look at that thing. There were a couple of seconds where we just looked at it as it looked back at us before it quickly turned around and scaled a 60 feet tree. We lost sight of it in the canopy. We then looked at each other and were like, WTF was that? We talked about how the way it climbed the tree was what freaked us out the most. It only took a few strides up the tree using its front two paws to grab a spot on the tree to lift and launch itself up the tree. The arms were freakishly long and lanky looking when it climbed. It honestly looked somewhat human in the way it articulated its arms as it climbed, like its elbows jutted out to the sides as it pulled itself up. We talked about how freaky that was some more and decided to keep looking around because even though we were spooked, it was intriguing and we wanted to see if there was any other freaky stuff around. There definitely was. The woods were littered with easily over 100 animal carcasses, bone piles. Most of them were cows, raccoons, and opossums. There was one spot maybe 25 by 25 feet that had at least a dozen cow carcasses ranging from just the bone left to one that looked less than a week old. They were definitely being eaten by something with huge chunks of flesh missing. I know cows get loose all the time, but damn if this didn't look like a feeding spot. My theory is this thing was stealing cows from local farms for food. There are a couple within five miles. We also found a man-made small pond near the middle of the woods, which couldn't have been more than six feet wide. A shovel and plastic bucket was sitting next to it. Once we found that we're pretty freaked out again and decided we'd better head back because we had less than two hours of daylight left and there was a lot of thick, deep mud to slowly walk through to get back. That's pretty much it. At the time, it freaked me out a bit, but looking back now, Knowing what skinwalkers are, I'm just happy we came back completely unscathed. Unfortunately, I don't hang out with those guys anymore, and I tried to go back with some different friends somewhat recently only to see that the woods had been cleared out and there was nothing there. I thought I was tripping out, but I looked on Google Earth, and I could see in its place was dirt and log piles. Probably an omen to not chase this thing. I'll take it at face value. I haven't heard of the dogman, but this thing didn't look like a dog coyote at all. I just used Great Dane as a size comparison, as it was freakishly large to be looking like a raccoon. Yes, it had a striped tail like a raccoon. It had the face of a raccoon, specifically the large black spots around its eyes, stubby almost rounded ears like a raccoon. It had bushy fur like a raccoon. We saw it very clearly with no obstructions from about 30-40 feet away. It was early spring and the brush inside the canopy was still dead. I used to hunt in Leon County at my family's old homestead that has been around since the late 1-800s. The frame house that my grandmother was born in is still standing. It was built in 1920, I believe, and I would drive in from College Waco and spend the night while hunting down there. We were always scared to be alone in that house just because of all the old furniture and pictures, etc. I fell asleep on the couch one night when a norther was blowing through. 
I remember awaking briefly thinking it had gotten cold, but fell right back to sleep. In the morning, when I woke up, I had an old quilt draped over me. This was not a quilt that would have just been draped over the couch. In fact, my mother confirmed later that she had that quilt put up in a closet. It sounds crazy, but I have no other explanation. I had no recollection of ever getting up. I'm a believer in guardian angles, and that is all I can sum this experience up to. Needless to say, it was several years before I stomached up the nerve to sleep alone in that house again. My mom, dad, and cousin each have a story that take place on the same patch of road in Mexico. I'll tell them as they were relayed to me individually. My parents actually met here in the United States, but they grew up in neighboring pueblos in Mexico. Connecting the two pueblos is a long, empty span of road, maybe five miles long, which is apparently haunted. These stories take place many years apart, but on the exact same patch of road. When my dad was a young man, he loved horses, jerapios, and drinking. While he has since put down the bottle, he still loves horses and Jorapio's law, but back in the day he would occasionally ride his horse out across the road to the neighboring Pueblo to hang out or hit up some parties. One early morning, he was returning home on horseback from a party in the neighboring Pueblo. He was a bit drunk and was just casually making his way home when suddenly the air grew still and the night went silent. He said something just felt off and his horse could sense it as well. My dad says that you can always tell what a horse is focusing on by looking at their ears, and in this case my dad's horse's ears were perked up stiff and focusing at the empty field beside them as well as all around them. Thinking that there might be some sort of animal stalking them, my dad looked around, but the fields beside them were empty and there weren't any bushes or things for an animal to hide behind. Suddenly the air went cold and my dad felt goosebumps on the back of his neck, almost as if something was right behind him. That's when my dad's horse couldn't take it anymore and took off running for its life. My dad held on tightly and tried several times to bring the horse to a stop, but it was dead set on getting the hell away from whatever they had just encountered. Eventually, they finally reached their pueblo, and the horse calmed down and came to stop. Never before or after had the horse behaved that way, and it left my dad shook up. Needless to say, he was sober by the time he reached home. Two years ago, I found myself on an elk hunting trip with three of my buddies. We had set up camp near Ukiah, Oregon, or at least that's what I think it was. The days were spent scouting for elk, and the evenings were filled with laughter, storytelling, and of course, drinking screwdrivers around the campfire. One particular night, as we sat around the fire, we were all in high spirits, sharing our adventures from the day. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a loud, undulating scream echoed through the forest, cutting through our laughter and chilling us to the bone. It was unlike anything any of us had ever heard before, and it sent a wave of fear through the camp. Instinctively, we all jumped up and ran for our guns, our hearts pounding in our chests. The adrenaline coursed through our veins as we frantically scanned the dark woods surrounding the camp, 
trying to pinpoint the source of the terrifying sound. As we stood there, weapons at the ready, we caught a glimpse of a large, shadowy figure moving swiftly through the trees. The sheer size and speed of the creature was enough to make us believe that it was a Sasquatch, a creature we had all heard stories about, but never truly believed in until that moment. Just as quickly as it had appeared, the creature vanished into the darkness, leaving us all standing there, dumbfounded and shaken. We gathered around the campfire once again, our previous mirth replaced by a sense of unease. We spent the rest of the night discussing the incident, trying to rationalize what we had experienced. Over time, the memory of that night has faded, but the feeling of fear and awe that the scream evoked still lingers. We've shared our story with others, some of whom believe us, while others dismiss it as a product of our overactive imaginations and too many screwdrivers. Me, my uncle, and my cousins went to this site to hunt deer. We lined up six abreast on the far side of the trench to push any deer out. As we walked along, I inadvertently got forced down into the trench. I then kept with the direction of the trench. After a short time, I smelled something. It smelled like some stinking animal. Then I heard it running back and forth, as if frantically looking for something. I could tell by the sound it was two-legged. I could feel the ground shake, like when a herd of elk gets spooked. At this point, I hear a tree, maybe six to ten inches on the stump, come crashing to the ground behind me. At this point, I made extreme haste for the walls of the trench. Pulling on vines, I made my way out and straight for our vehicles. I did not linger at the trench for further investigation. From all of my experience in the woods, I can, with full confidence, say what I encountered was not a bear and was definitely two-legged. The crisp autumn air filled me with excitement as my four friends and I gathered around a roaring campfire outside the hunter's lodge. This remote cabin was nestled deep within the heart of a dense forest, and it held a century-old history cloaked in mystery. We had rented it for a week of hunting and relaxation, but we had no inkling that our decision to spend a week at this secluded outpost would lead to a terrifying encounter with the unknown. The group consisted of James, Sarah, Mike, Lisa, and myself, Daniel. We had been planning this trip for months, eagerly anticipating the chance to escape the hustle and bustle of city life and trade our smartphones for rifles and hiking boots. The lodge, despite its eerie past, offered the perfect escape from the daily grind. As the days went by, we settled into the lodge, swapping stories by the fire and savoring the simple pleasures of life away from civilization. However, as night descended upon us, an unsettling feeling began to creep over our group. The wind whispered through the trees in an eerie, ghostly chorus, and the old lodge creaked and groaned as if it harbored its own secrets. On the third night, we were jolted awake by a faint, mournful howling in the distance. It was unlike any animal we had ever encountered, sending shivers down our spines and making sleep impossible. We tried to dismiss it as a trick of the wind and attempted to resume our slumber. 
The following evening, as we gathered around the fireplace, we heard something that chilled us to the bone, a low, guttural growl emanating from just beyond the lodge's walls. James, known for his fearlessness, grabbed a flashlight and cautiously peered out the window. My blood turned to ice as I watched him shine the light into the darkness. There, right outside the window, was a beast. I could see spittle running down its face, and its eyes were fixed on James. It stood on its hind legs, its fur a matted blend of cream, red and brown. Its face was wolf-like, with a snout and sharp teeth. But apart from that snout, its facial features were eerily human. Its jawbones were high, and the structure around its eyes and the eyes themselves were shockingly human-esque. Its eyes, I believed, were a chilling shade of yellow. James stumbled back from the window, his heart pounding, and relayed what he had seen to us. Panic began to set in as we huddled together, wondering what kind of creature could lurk just outside our lodge. Our questions remained unanswered, and we were overwhelmed by a sense of dread. The night grew colder, and the growling continued. Then a more terrifying sound reached our ears, the scratching of claws at the door. The creature was trying to get inside, and fear quickly turned to desperation as we realized we were trapped. That's when Daniel, the most level-headed among us, proposed a dangerous plan. He suggested that we escape through the back door and set explosives inside the cabin. The idea was to lure the creature inside and then detonate the explosives from a safe distance. It was a risky plan, but we had no other choice. With trembling hands, we prepared for our escape. We cautiously opened the back door and crept out, all while hearing the front door splintering under the creature's assault. Panic set in as we sprinted into the woods, barely escaping the pursuing horror. Taking cover behind the trees, we watched in terror as the creature entered the cabin. Lisa, tears streaming down her face, clicked the remote detonator and the explosion lit up the night sky. The cabin erupted in flames and the force of the blast sent shockwaves through the forest. When the smoke cleared, there was no sign of the creature. The lodge had been reduced to smoldering ruins. Our ordeal was over, but the fear and the memory of those piercing yellow eyes would haunt us for the rest of our lives. As we made our way back to civilization, we vowed never to speak of the horrors we had encountered. To this day, we maintain that it was a true story, a tale of terror that unfolded in the dark depths of the wilderness, a story of a remote hunting lodge with a history best left buried in the past. The very first time I went deer hunting was back in 2015 in West Kentucky and went on my then-girlfriend current wife's family land on the opening day of rifle season. I got put in one of their stands on the edge of a swamp that was only about 100 yards in the woods with soybean field out front. The stand faces into the woods and about 300 feet from the stand turns into public TVA ground. The TVA ground is accessible but Yao'd have to either trespass or walk through about two miles of thick swamp to get back to where we were. I get dropped off to the stand and remember taking in the 25-degree pitch black morning and waiting in the dark for things to lighten up. Then I see a blue light walking through the woods. 
As it got closer, I see an old man with a white beard wearing red and black flannel and a stormy cromer walking down the trail that leads to and past this stand with an old school lantern held out at arm's length. He walked past my stand, never looked up at me and walked onto the TVA and disappeared. I got a dough that morning and never have figured out where that guy came from. I was there until about 12.30 or so and never saw him walk back out either. Hiking with a companion and two German shepherds around 9 a.m. in the rogue Umpqua wilderness, saw a large brown object moving fast through the understory, which was quite thick. Dogs chased the object. Both dogs had saddle packs. One dog had a tarp, which was securely rolled and tied on the middle of his back. Dogs were gone about three, five minutes and came running back. One dog, which had the tarp on, returned and continued to run past us and ended up at the shelter about one mile back where we had stayed the night and was extremely scared. The other older dog stopped when encountering us and listened when we told it to stop, but was also very scared. Several things were unusual, the intense musty smell, something like a bull elk in heat, but not or not like a bear either. The dogs fear as they have chased bears, coyotes, deer elk, and are never scared upon return. The tallness of the object as it was way too tall for a bear or elk. Too quiet for an elk also. The untied tarp, which was securely tied, but upon return of the chase, the tarp was tied, but just one knot. I tie good knots. One. The experience I'd like to share with you happened in the summer of 2002. I was 20, still living at home in a rental in East Mesa, Arizona with my 18-year-old brother and my mother. As you may know, Arizona has a typically six-month-long scorching, dry summer climate and being a transplant from beautiful northern Cali, it was hard for us to adapt. Anyhow, it was a hot summer night in late May or early June. My brother had just graduated high school and I was working full-time during the day. We spent our evening talking and laughing and playing music. It really was a memorably enjoyable night. At about 10.30, I noticed that the front porch light had again burned out, as it had been doing for about 18 months prior to that. In fact, both of the lights over the driveway and three lights in our backyard were continually ceasing to function and it seemed I was always buying bulbs and expensive strobe light bulbs. I don't know if this is somehow connected to what happened next. First, I must add that our front door was set back into the house with the garage protruding. Our front yard was much deeper than the backyard and was overshadowed by three velvet mesquite and a chinaberry tree and various species of cola cacti. So the street light did little to penetrate the den of darkness. I turned the lamplight to my bedroom, which was really an office nook right next to the front door, which had a large latticed picture window with run-of-the-mill blinds. I opened the blinds and the light flooded the wall of the garage. What I saw made my skin crawl. There on the stucco wall was some thing. It was only about 10 to 12 feet from where I was standing. The only way to describe it was that it looked like a giant headless moth. I called my brother over excitedly. I clearly remember our conversation. What do you suppose that is? 
I have no idea. It must be a bat of some sort. But we only have micro bats here in Arizona. And I have always heard that bats hang upside down. I guess it could be a giant moth. We do live in the desert. I thought moths were attracted to light. The lights are all burnt out again. We talked for a moment and stood next to the glass panes adjacent to the front door, the bedroom light illuminating all the while, and the thing did not stir or move. We decided it was about 18 inches to 2 feet long from blunt top to winged bottom. It was very clear yet very dark, almost black, and no antennae were visible. It hung on the wall like a moth, but was about the size of a medium-sized fruit bat, which I believe only exists in Asia. It was about five or six feet off the ground. My mother came and had a look and shuddered and refused to stand near the door. We were both young and curious and my brother said, let's go have a look at it then. We swung the door and security screen open and he took a step over the door jam. I was suddenly struck with an unreal, unearthly fear and grabbed his shoulder. He looked back at me and later said I had the most wholly terrified look on my face that he had ever seen. I am afraid and tingly even writing this. Without a word, he stepped back inside and we locked both doors and closed the blinds and camped out in the living room, only going to sleep after several thoughtful conversations. The very next morning at sunrise I went out to the wall with a tape measure and my brother and mom stood at the door and directed me as to where and how high and how long this thing had been planted. There was no trace of anything, the dust on the stucco looked the same all around, with no residue or anything. When they were both satisfied with the positioning I read the tape measure, 28 inches. My mother walked back into the house and has absolutely refused to speak of it since. My brother and I are both keenly interested in animal insectplant life via books and media, and I have taken an MSc course in Southwest Biology, and neither of us has ever seen or heard of anything matching its description. My husband was raised here and said the only thing he could think of that size was an owl, but this was no owl. What was it? Perhaps it is a real animal we could not identify. Has someone had a similar experience or know what it could be? We are not exaggerating people. We are level-headed and analytical. Thank you for your time. Last year, I was with a buddy of mine, and we were going to do the Heart Creek Scramble in Alberta, but due to some health conditions he has it was going too strenuous to complete, and we figured we'd make it an easy day and just do the simple trail. Now we're both climbers and have been to Heart Creek for rock climbing in the past, and had a great time so it wasn't a surprise to see the sporadic climbers on the mountainside as we went. Heart Creek is also pretty popular and easy for people who just want to go for a nice nature walk and maybe have picnic. Anyway, so we walked in, enjoying the day watching climbers on our way by. We saw a couple even doing some multi-pitch climbing, which means basically leapfrogging up the route. We settled in for lunch about a half hour later and left a couple hours after that. On our way back, I remember seeing a climbing shoe in the creek and thinking, Oh, someone must have lost this. I picked it up when my buddy got my attention and I looked further downstream. 
Both climbers, a young man 29 or so, I learned later, and his partner were both lying the creek bed, rope and harnesses still attached dead. It was very surreal. We had seen these people climbing not two hours before, making their calls, having a good time. The first reaction I had was that I remembered that there was a family right behind us, a husband and wife with a young daughter who were playing in the creek on the way down. We ran back and stopped them and explained as quietly as we could what was ahead, and before we knew it, Lucky Luz had come by. It turned out that the husband was an off-duty RCMP officer, and so he took control of the situation. I learned later we weren't the first on scene, and that the authorities had been called. It was a very quiet ride back into town that day though. Edit. I have more details if people are interested. Real edit. Holy crap, sorry all. Okay, more details, so the couple who were climbing were both experienced enough. But one was still learning they attempted to do a dual lowering maneuver using each other's weight and feeding the rope through their belays. One of them made a mistake and lost their end of the rope, and that was it for both of them. There wasn't a lot of blood strangely, and they looked very peaceful. I didn't get a good look at the girl, I mostly only saw the guy there. The story ran for a couple days in the area, talking about the male as the family of the girl didn't want to disclose anything. That was not something I thought I'd see that day, that's for sure. I'm going to peruse the comments for any specific questions. I've had experiences that I can only attribute to gnomes, or at least, some otherworldly beings. It all began with a peculiar scream that I caught on camera. While my friend and I were walking, we didn't hear the scream with our ears, but when I reviewed the footage later, it was unmistakably there. We were in an isolated area, no animals or electronic devices that could have made that noise. The scream was unnaturally loud, something we should have heard if it was made by any known living creature. It left me with the unnerving thought that my camera had somehow captured the voice, or an athe of a creature from another dimension, perhaps a duend or gnome or some other fey creature. The place where I recorded the screen was a secluded, fenced-off garden area known for its old trees. After that recording, strange occurrences started to unfold in my home. Invisible entities seemed to be obstructing my movements, preventing me from placing things on tables. It was uncanny, and I couldn't shake the feeling that the Duens had somehow followed me home. Months later, while I was out cycling, I captured a voice calling my name. Just like the screen, it was only audible when I reviewed the footage. I was convinced that the gnomes must have learned my name during their pranks at my home. After all, no one in the city knew my name, and there was no one around who could have called out to me. The odd experiences continued, and I've recorded other inexplicable voices, like a disembodied voice saying, Mommy, in the same garden where I'd caught the initial scream. I also captured a mysterious red orb hovering in the same area. The experiences were unnerving, yet fascinating. I couldn't help but continue exploring, driven by the curiosity of what I might encounter next in my encounters with these other dimensional beings.
I am Red Hawk, a proud warrior of Apache tribe. I have always defended my people and our land, and now, faced with a threat like none we have ever known, I must do so once again. The signs were all there, the mangled carcasses of animals littering our once peaceful hunting grounds. No ordinary beast could have done this, and our elders whispered of an ancient legend, a creature that had not been seen for generations. As the tribe's most skilled hunter and fighter, it was my duty to find this monster and put an end to its reign of terror. I ventured deep into the forest, following the trail of destruction left by the unknown cryptid. The tracks were enormous, unlike anything I had ever seen. Fear gripped my heart, but I knew I had to be brave for the sake of my people. I continued my pursuit, fueled by determination and the hope that I could save my tribe from this horrifying menace. After days of tracking the creature, I finally caught sight of it. The beast was massive, with fearsome claws and teeth that could tear through flesh and bone with ease. Its eyes burned with an eerie, unnatural light. It was clear that this was no ordinary animal, but a monster born of darkness and nightmare. We engaged in a fierce battle, our deadly dance taking us through the forest and across treacherous ravines. Despite my best efforts, the creature's strength and speed were unparalleled. It inflicted terrible wounds upon me, but I fought on, refusing to give in. I knew that the fate of my tribe rested on my shoulders. As our struggle continued, I realized that I would not be able to defeat the creature through brute force alone. In a final, desperate act, I decided to lure it towards a steep cliff, knowing that the fall would either kill or gravely injure the cryptid. With my last remaining strength, I charged at the monster, pushing us both over the edge. We plummeted towards the ground, the creature's terrible cries echoing through the air. As we hit the earth, I felt my own bones shatter, my lifeblood seeping into the soil. The cryptid lay nearby, crippled and defeated, its furious eyes now dimmed with pain and fear. As I lay dying, I knew that I had fulfilled my duty as a warrior. I had protected my people and driven the creature away, even at the cost of my own life. The legend of Red Hawk would live on, and my tribe would be safe their future secured by the sacrifice I had made. My vision began to fade, the shadows of the forest closing in around me. I smiled, knowing that I had not failed my people. I had faced the unknown and emerged victorious, and now I could finally find peace.